If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, if you would open it, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you, and I would encourage you to take it today and follow along. 2 Kings, chapter number 3. I want to talk to you today about how God works in unexpected ways in our lives. In fact, God works in mysterious ways in our lives. There's an old hymn that says, God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Now, the setting for that biblically, of course, was when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They were headed to the promised land, but they got to the Red Sea and they were stuck. The Red Sea was too big to swim across, and the Egyptian army was in hot pursuit following them. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't go backwards. They couldn't go left or right. And so God supernaturally parted that Red Sea and made it possible for His children to go through on dry land. Each of us here today, if we had time, and I wish we did, we could just take that microphone and pass it across this room, and each of us could testify of times in our lives when we have been at a dead end. We couldn't go forward, and we couldn't go back, and yet God made a way where there seemed to be no way. That is who God is. Now, in our Scripture today, it's a little different imagery, but it is the same point. And before we look at the Scripture, let me kind of give you the background of what is happening here. The king of Moab, who up until this point in the story, had had a good relationship with the king of Israel. But there came a time when the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel and wanted to fight against him. So Moab versus Israel. The king of Israel was very concerned about this, and so he went to the king of Judah, a man named Jehoshaphat, a good and godly king, and he said, would you please form an alliance with me? Two are better than one. If we can hook up, we have a better chance of defeating the Moabites. Jehoshaphat said, yes, I will. Well, as they were forming that alliance, they ended up enlisting another king, the king of Edom, and basically said to him, if two are better than one, three are better than two. And so if the three of us could partner up, the kings of Israel, uh, Judah, and, and Edom, if we could partner up and we could go fight against the Moabites, then we could more than likely beat them because our armies will be bigger than theirs. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 3, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but look at the end of verse number 5. It says, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Verse 7, then he, that is the king of Israel, went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will Will you go with me to fight against Moab? He said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. Now watch this. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And so as these three kings are leading their army into Moab, they are out in the desert. The New King James says wilderness. It is actually a desert. It is dry. And in that desert was absolutely no water. Well, the kings knew we can't survive with no water. A human being can't survive long at all without water, much less our army and much less these animals. And so they were in a very difficult spot. Some of you today, before we read on in this, you may feel like you are in the desert. 
You're in a dry place, and you're going around in circles, and you can't find any water to drink. Well, that was the case here. Verse 10, And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now, the king of Israel was not a godly king. We read earlier in this chapter that, in fact, he was an evil, wicked king. He didn't have a relationship with God, and he had no faith. And so when he looked at these circumstances in the desert, no water, he wrongly concluded that God was against them, that God had abandoned them. And so he looked at his situation with no faith, and he became hopeless. But in verse 11, we read that Jehoshaphat, the good and godly king, looked at the same situation... But through the eyes of faith, and through the eyes of faith, he saw something completely different. Here's what he said. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Jehoshaphat said, we need a preacher. We need the man of God. We need a prophet. We need somebody who knows God who knows God's Word, and who can tell us what to do in this dire and desperate situation that we are in. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's just another way of saying that Elisha was Elijah's assistant, and he assisted him. And so Elisha, the man of God, is in this area. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. In other words, Elisha is saying to the king of Israel, if you weren't with Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't give you the time of day. You're not a believer. You don't walk with God, worship God, serve. You don't even believe in God. And I wouldn't give you the time of day. But since you're with Jehoshaphat, I'm going to seek God on your behalf. Verse 15, now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Elisha said, in other words, what I need is a musician to come in here and to begin to play some worship music for me, some praise music for me. Because in that setting, my mind will be clear, I will be undistracted, I will be able to focus, and I will be able to hear the word of the Lord. Elisha knew that God would speak to him if the setting was right, and God indeed did speak. Verse 16 tells us what God said to Elisha and then what he said to these three kings. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. The NIV says this is an easy thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom 
And the land was filled with water. And when the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against Edom, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil." So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Now here's the situation. They're in the desert. They don't have any water. And so they seek out the man of God. The man of God says, dig some ditches. God will send the water. That's exactly what happened. So the water took care of their physical need for water. They were able to quench their thirst. But the water served another purpose. When the king of Moab looked across the valley there and saw the water, the way the sun was coming across the water in those ditches that had never been there before, the reflection of that appeared red. And he concluded that these three kings had killed each other, that their armies had turned on each other. And so he went to try to get the spoil and all the possessions from these three kingdoms. But he was wrong. The kings hadn't killed each other. They were very much alive. The water really wasn't red. It just appeared red to him. God made it look like that. And so God did two things at the same time. He supplied their need for water, and it was a setup to defeat the Moabites. Now, that is the story. And I read that story several months ago. And when I did, I said, God, that, I just thought to myself, that story speaks to me because all of us can relate. I certainly can to being in the desert, not understanding what God might be doing in our lives, not understanding why God might allow us to be where we now are and not able to find water. That is not able to find that thing in life, that peace, that joy that we need spiritually to sustain us just like water sustains us physically. Now, when you read your Bible, and when I read my Bible, and I hope we read it every day, you're going to come across different things. Sometimes you read the Bible and you come across a command, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a command. When you read a command in, your, in the Bible, the wise thing to do is to obey that command. Sometimes we read our Bible, we come across a promise. My God shall supply all your needs. My grace is sufficient for you. I will never leave you. And we come, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. We come across a promise. When God leads you to a promise, claim the promise. Believe the promise. Sometimes in the, our reading of the Bible, we come across a principle. It's not really a promise. It's kind of like a promise, but it's just a principle that this is how life works. For example, there's the principle in Scripture of sowing and reaping. The Bible says we reap what we sow. If we sow purity, we reap good things. If we sow sin, we reap bad things. If we sow love and mercy and forgiveness and kindness, then we reap love and mercy and forgiveness and kindness for others. As we do to others, so it will be done unto us. And so there's a law of sowing and reaping. So when you read that principle in the Bible, we have to apply that to our life. Say, God, I want to sow good seeds. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, there is a person who gives away a lot of what he has, and yet he gets more in return. There's another person who's tight and stingy and doesn't give anything away, and yet he loses what he has. It's a principle in Scripture. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We have to apply that principle. Sometimes in the Bible, we come across a warning. I'm working on now. We just started last week. 
or a couple of weeks ago, a book on Proverbs, trying to put some of the great Proverbs together in one booklet so we can have for us to read. And in reading through the Proverbs, I was just reminded and saw in a fresh way how many warnings there are in Proverbs, warnings against adultery, warnings against drunkenness, warnings against gluttony, warnings against lying, anger, gossip, slander, treating people wrongly, warnings against speaking too much. There's all kind of warnings. So in the Bible, when you read a warning, we have to heed that warning. And, 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 and if it says don't do something, we don't need to do it. But sometimes in your Bible reading, you're going to come across not a command or a promise or a principle or a warning, but you're going to read a story like we just read today. Three kings in the desert, no water. The man of God told them what to do, problem solved. And so when we read a story in the Bible, what we have to begin to ask is after we comprehend the story and understand what the Bible is actually saying, after we know what happened in Scripture, we have to begin to ask ourselves this question, what is the lesson for me? What are the lessons for me? What is God saying to me through this particular story. Now, that's what I've been thinking about all last week as I was thinking about this sermon today. God, we can all identify. In the desert, no water. Go to the man of God. Get a word from God. Do what he says. Problem solved. Need met. God, how do we apply this in our lives today? And so I want to mention some things. If you're a note taker, if you have your bulletin, you might want to fill this, these blanks in. But here are the lessons that I see when I read and think about this story, lesson number one is simply this. Whatever you're facing in your life right now, it is a simple matter to the Lord. Now, it may not be simple to you. It may seem complicated to you, but to the Lord, it is a simple matter. Look again in verse 18. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. Again, the NIV says this is an easy thing. And so, if I were reading this scripture in my own quiet time, and like I did months ago, when I finished my quiet time, I would take that phrase, a simple matter, and I would meditate on that phrase throughout the day. And I would say, God, this mess I'm in right now, this situation I'm in right now, seems complicated to me, seems hopeless to me, seems like I don't have a move on the table, but God, I just want to thank you that to you, it is a simple matter. What is complicated to us is a simple matter to God. Now, lesson number two is just as important. And the reason that the, whatever you're facing is simple for the Lord is because of lesson number two, and that is this. God can provide exactly what you need. God sent water when they needed water. Now, the interesting thing about this, he didn't send wind and he didn't send rain. Had I been one of those three kings, and Elisha said to me, something amazing is about to happen. There'll be no wind, and there'll be no rain, but God's about to send the water once you dig the trenches, once you dig out the ditches. I think I would have said to Elisha, Elisha, or I might would have said to God, I might have said, God, how are you going to send water if you don't send rain? We have to have rain in order for there to be water. And God would have said in response to that, I don't have to have rain in order for there to be water. I'm God, and I can have water however I want to have water. The same way God would say that I created light on day one and didn't create the sun, moon, and stars till day four of creation, God says, I'm not dependent on the sun, moon, and stars to have light. There was light three days before I created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so I want you to see this. God works 
certainly powerfully, and, but he works mysteriously and unexpectedly, and sometimes God does things in our lives that we would never expect him to do. Look again in verse 20, because I want you to notice the timing of what happened here. It says, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly, underline that word suddenly, that suddenly water came by way of Eden, of Edom and filled the land with water. The land was filled with water. Think about this. As these people were praising God, this must have been Jehoshaphat's army at this time, offering up their praises, offering up their offerings to God. As they were praising God, that's when the need was met, and that's when the water was supplied. Have you noticed in your life that when you are spending time, like you are today, in church, you are in church when you could be at a movie, you could be home, you could be at Galveston, you could be anywhere in the world, you could be playing golf today, fishing today, but you're in the house of God. Have you noticed when you put yourself, whether it's corporately like this or privately at home, in the presence of God to hear from His Word, to spend time, extended time in prayer and praise of God, that it is during those moments that God speaks to you, that God gives you insight, that God meets your needs. And I, I told a story in the first sermon that it, I'm not going to tell it now, but I had this experience yesterday. I was home. I, was, I got concerned about something. I prayed about it. I wrote it in my prayer journal. I got it on my knees. I put it in God's hands. And within five minutes... God led me into my office at my home, my study room, and I found the answer to what I was concerned about. I had really been worried about this for about an hour, just confused about something, and I found the answer just like that. You know, I've, I've just noticed in my life, and I know you have too, when we spend time in the presence of God, He speaks to us, He gives us ideas, He gives us thoughts. This happened to me last night. I got in bed and about 11.30, and uh, I had been watching the NFL uh, in, the enshrinement last night, the Hall of Fame thing, and I watched that till late. I got in bed, and I was going to turn the TV on and just kind of watch the, you know, more about that. And I had the TV right next, the remote control right next to me, and nothing would have been wrong with turning that TV on. But when I got in bed last night, I just felt, I just felt an impression from God. Don't turn the TV on. Just lay here in bed for a few minutes, and let's think about the sermon for in the morning. And my first thought was, well, I've been thinking about that sermon long enough. I want to watch more. I want to watch sports, right? I just kind of thought that. But I knew it was God. So I just, I just stayed there, and I laid there for about an hour and a half before I went to bed. And I thought through the ending of this sermon that today. And it was just like I just knew God. And God was speaking to me in such clear ways. I put the remote control up. I said, I would be foolish to turn the television on when God is giving me insights and God is speaking to me. When you came in today... Maybe you notice, and if not, when you go out in our commons area out there, in the big lobby in the back, we have four new banners. And I'm so excited about those banners because when we moved in this worship center in 2013, we had four banners up there that said, First Baptist Church, Pasadena. And it had pictures of people on there, and it was just designed so that when people came in, they would see people, it would be a, everybody looked happy, and it, it would be a welcoming thing. We've had those up for eight years. Well, I don't know, about six months or so, I thought, you know, those banners have been great, but they've been up for about eight years, and I'm glad that it says First Baptist Church, Pasadena, but really, I think we all know where we are, right? I mean, I think we got that. So maybe if we could take those banners down and put some more banners up, that didn't just talk about First Baptist Church Pasadena, but that had like a message, that had like a, a sermon in a sentence, 
that had something from the Bible, that had something that's preached from the pulpit, so that when people are coming in and coming out and here for funerals and here for different times, they can look up there and maybe they can get a word of hope. And so when you go out today, if you've not seen it already, we have four banners. The first one says, God is in control. The second one says, come to Jesus. The next one says, peace is the result of trusting Jesus. And the next one says, where God guides, God provides. And I just envision people coming to church, going out of church, looking up there, coming here. Maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe your kids are away. Maybe there's a family. Maybe your family situation has imploded on you, and you're wondering, where is God and what's going to happen to me? And you can look up, and you can see that banner that says, God is in control. And when you get in your car to drive home, you may say, I don't remember what the sermon was about, but I know this, God is in control. And that was his word for me today. Or come to Jesus, or peace is a result of trusting Jesus. Or maybe you feel God leading you or guiding you to go in a certain direction, and you're thinking, man, if I take that step of faith, I may be in trouble out there. I may not make it out there. You know, I may not have the money I need, but where God guides, God provides, and you step out there, and so it would be good. So I am so, but that, but that was not something I made up. It's been eight, eight years that the others were out there. I just thought that was something that God put on my mind. One of the things about these other banners when we looked at taking those down, and I started talking to some of the staff about, you know, is there going to be a problem with taking those banners down? I don't know if you remember this, but if you've looked at those banners through the years, again, pictures, lots of people in there. One lady was pregnant in, in the picture. And one of our staff members said, John, that lady's been trying to have that baby for eight and a half years. We've got to get her down. And so this past week, she gave birth to a third grader, right? I mean, her baby came out. But the thing is, if we will spend time in the presence of God, God will give us exactly what we need. He gave them water, and as a military strategy, God tricked the king of Moab and led to his demise. Now, one other thing as we think about what lessons we can learn from this, and this is what, this is what I'm so excited about, and this is what, when I got in bed last night, this is the thought, and it's just like God said, John, I was going to take the third point out of the sermon. It's like God just said, no, keep that in there. Lesson number three, then we'll look at it. When you're out there in the desert of life, when you're down in the valley, you have to dig some ditches if that's what God tells you to do. Now look again in verse 16. And Elisha, this is the man of God, he said this, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Elisha said, what I want you all to do is dig some ditches because there's going to be some water coming. Not through rain, not, not a windstorm bringing in clouds. There's going to be water. But before there's water, you've got to dig some ditches. And in the digging of those ditches, God will see that as an act of faith. And God will see that you are doing what you're supposed to do. And when you do what God tells you to do, then He will do what only He can do. You can't send the water. Only God can do that. But you can dig the ditch. Have you noticed in the Bible and in life, God will never do what He expects you to do. When Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus, to that tomb... You see, only Jesus could bring Lazarus from death to life. But before he did that, he said to those gathered around that tomb, roll the stone away. That was something they could do. And when they did what they could do, God did what only he could do. God told these three kings, you dig the ditches. 
What is a ditch? A ditch is a, is a water canal. A ditch is something that is dug to hold water. And so when they were digging those ditches, they were digging those ditches by faith and saying, we'll do what we can do, and we're going to believe and trust that God will do what only God can do. Sometimes in our lives, we have to dig ditches. It'd be interesting today. And I, This is when I'm up here preaching, looking around at everybody. I just wonder, like, what is really going on in your life? What is in your mind? What is in your heart? What is happening in your family? What is happening in your life? I wish I could see that. I, I can't. God knows, but I don't know. But could it be today that there's some here in this service who have lost their joy, who have no direction in life, who have no peace in life, who are restless, who are, you know, you're just going through maybe even depressed and this is where you are today in your life, and you're trying to figure out what to do. Well, listen, when, when, when we've all been there, but when you get like that, that's when you have to dig a ditch, and that's when you have to pursue God, and that's when you have to say, God, for this mess I'm in, only you can send the refreshing waters. But I can put in the time and the effort to dig the ditch. This is why we say every day we should be in the Word of God. This is why last week and in the one other time we've given away over 2,000 of these little booklets, Meeting God in the Psalms, so that every day you can take 10 minutes, open this book, find the day. Uh, yesterday I read it. Uh, I haven't even done today's, but yesterday I read day 7. And in my reading of these verses yesterday, one verse spoke out to me or stood out to me, Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. That's what David said to God. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And I read, I thought, God, that's the message for me today. You're my hiding place. You're my place of security. You're my place of safety. My, my security doesn't come from being in my house, although I love my house. My safety doesn't come from being at First Baptist, although I love this church. My security doesn't come from being with my family. I love my family or my friends. My security, my hiding place, my safety is God. And so when we get in a place spiritually where we're, we're just down, and, and I wasn't even that way at all yesterday, but, but certainly when we are down, we have to dig a ditch, and we have to pursue, and we have to seek God. Sometimes in our relationships, we have to do that. In our friendships with each other, sometimes there's a conflict. And sometimes people's feelings are hurt, and sometimes there's confusion, and maybe sometimes there's not good understanding, and sometimes we have to dig a ditch, and we have to go back, and we have to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, or, or I'm unclear on this, but I mean, we have to dig a ditch. If we will dig a ditch, God will send the refreshing water. You know, sometimes physically, you can have a problem physically. And you need to dig a ditch. You need to put in the work, and you need to put in the time and the effort, and you need to address that physical problem. Sometimes a person will get cancer or MS or Parkinson's disease or some disease, and, and, and they have to go to the doctor, and maybe they have to have surgery or treatment or medication. And in those cases, there's nothing the person did to get that disease. I talked to a man yesterday, 40 years old, probably in the service today. He has lung cancer. Stage four, it's metastasized to his brain. We were talking about that. He said, John, I don't know how I got this. Maybe, maybe the place where I worked helped bring this on. I don't know. But that man didn't do anything to, to bring on, on that cancer, more than likely. It's just, it's just something that, that happened. But did you know sometimes in life you can have a physical problem, and you don't necessarily need to go to the doctor. You don't need surgery. You don't need a treatment or even a pill. You need to look at the situation for example, a lot of headaches that people get are caused by stress. 
And so when you get a tension headache, instead of just taking medication or going to a doctor, look at your life and ask, what is, what, how am I not handling something well enough in my life? And I'm, so what I'm saying is if you, if you handle how you deal with stress, now people that get chronic migraines, that's a different category, but just pure stress. Sometimes people get such stress, they get chest, their chest hurts, they get chest pain. And they go, to the, they go to the emergency room. They think they're having a heart attack. And, and if you ever think you are, go get that checked out. But many times, if you've been in an emergency room or you have friends who are doctors and nurses, they, they will, one of the things they will tell you to do is this. They will say, if you're, if you're having pain in the center of your chest, touch that with your hand. Press on, that, press on your sternum. If your sternum hurts worse, you're not having a heart attack. You're tense. Your muscles around your sternum have contracted, and that's what's causing this pain. Heart attack pain is not that type of pain. But I'm saying, if in doubt, I don't want anybody to die and say, well, John told me I was okay. I don't want that to happen. But I'm just saying, a lot of times, you don't need to go to the doctor. You, you, need, to, you need to do the work. You need to do the research. You need to study. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I almost am because I'm really good on Google. I mean, I really am good on that. And I should have some kind of a medical degree because of my Google knowledge. But I, I, try, I know just enough to be dangerous. But several months ago, I began having stomach cramps, which is very unusual for me. I never get stomach I've been blessed with a great appetite. I can eat anything I want to eat, and I don't have problems. But I started getting stomach cramps. So I went and saw my doctor. I said, my stomach is cramping. I mean, sometimes it's, I'm almost having to lay back in a recline, and I still, it's just horrible. He said, what you need to do is go to the store and buy some bone broth, and you need to eat it for five days, and it will coat your stomach. Well, I respect this doctor. I got the bone broth, and I intended to do that. There were two things working against me. First of all, when it's June in Texas, and it's 145 degrees outside, bone broth, a a warm bowl of bone broth doesn't really sound all that great. And the second thing is, by the time I got the stuff and was going to eat it, my stomach was better. I thought, well, I'll just keep it in case it happens again. Well, it happened again. Stomach cramping. I thought, what is it? I never get this. So I, I, so I started. I said, I've got to think about this. I've been to the doctor. He's pressed around. He said, I'm fine. So I got to thinking, is there anything that I'm currently eating that I normally don't eat? So I started thinking, and sure enough, I was. I had started eating something that I never had eaten before. I had started eating cauliflower. And so I Googled, can cauliflower cause stomach cramps? And the answer was, yes, dummy, cauliflower can cause stomach cramps. Because it's high in fiber, and it described the type of vegetable it was, and it said this. It said, to further create problems and cause the pain in your stomach, if with the cauliflower you eat broccoli and cabbage, it's going to really be bad. Well, that's what I was doing. I was eating cauliflower, broccoli, and cabbage. And it it just nearly killed me. So I took myself off of this, and you'll be happy to know I have replaced cauliflower with cookies, (laughs) broccoli with biscuits, and cabbage with cake. How is that? That's that's the change I've made. Stomach pain gone, problem solved. Now, had I not taken the time 
to do a little research. We, hey, this Google, I mean, you can look. Now, that doesn't mean we're doctors. We don't know as much as a doctor. But it means it's easier to find information now. If you go to WebMD or some of these sites, read the New England Journal of Medicine, you can find things that we didn't have access to 20 years ago. It's at our fingertips now. You've got to do the work. It's interesting. Uh, last week, I had one of my best friends in the world call me. He said, John, a couple of months ago, you mentioned to me that you were having some stomach cramps. And what did the doctor do? I said, I told him about the bone, bone broth. I said, I never really ate it because... I did some research, and I found out for me it was the cauliflower. Well, it went quiet on the line. And uh, I said, are you still there? He said, yeah, I'm still there. He said, John, I can't believe you said that. He said, I've been eating cauliflower like crazy lately. I said, I'll tell you what to do. Get off the cauliflower for five days. Your problem will be solved. We text later in the week. He said, John, you're not going to believe it. I've never felt my stomach feels great. Now, what he didn't say is, how much do I owe you? Do you accept my insurance? <laughs> None of that. Free medical advice like I'm giving to you today. But did you know it says in the Bible? Now listen to this. Listen to this verse. God said this. My people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. I'm sharing that with you today. You know what? There may be somebody listening to this. Maybe your stomach is cramping. Maybe you're eating cauliflower. And maybe you need to eat some cookies and get off that stuff. And maybe what I said will help you. But I'm making a deeper point. When we're having a problem, we have to dig a ditch. We have to do our part, and then God will do his part. You know, as I mentioned spiritually, this is certainly true. Let me close with this story. You still listen? Say amen. I want to tell one story, then I'm going to stop. Back in the 1700s, there was a man named William Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R. Maybe pronounced Cooper. I pronounce it Cowper. He lived in London, England. He was a Christian, but he was not living a victorious Christian life. He had bouts of depression. On four separate occasions, he tried to take his own life. But each time, God supernaturally intervened and would not let him kill himself. After the fourth time, he said, I've got to do something to get my life right. I can't keep living like this. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm down. And things are so bad that I can't, seemingly I can't even end my own life. He came under the influence of John Newton. John Newton is known to us today as the preacher who wrote Amazing Grace an interesting story on the life of John Newton. That's, a, that's another story for another day. But John Newton got saved later in life, became a preacher, was a wonderful man of God. And these two men's paths crossed. Now, Newton at that time was not pastoring a church in London. He was pastoring a church a little bit away. And yet William Cowper was so impressed and so convinced that John Newton was a true man of God, that he knew God that he knew the Word of God, that Cowper moved from London to the city where Newton pastored so that he could sit under his preaching ministry. Would that be an awesome thing in this day and time in which we live if the Spirit of God got so loose in our church here in Pasadena and the power of God was flowing so from here and the Word got out and people not only started watching online, but people actually quit their jobs, moved across the state or moved across the country to be a part of what is happening at First Baptist Church Pasadena. That would be a revival and that would be an awesome thing. And that's what happened under the preaching of John Newton. So Cowper goes to sit under his preaching. And as he did that, he develops a relationship with Newton, and he shared with Newton about his depression and, and his defeated life and no joy and no peace. And John Newton said, he said, William, you are already one of the greatest poets in England, but you write largely about nature, and it's beautiful, and it does give God credit and all. He said, but I sense in my spirit that your healing, your emotional healing, your deliverance, 
You're being set free from the bondage of this depression and this fear and this anxiety. Your freedom will be found as you write out how you feel and as you write out what God is doing in your life. Your healing will come through your writing. Maybe that's a word from God for somebody today. He said, I encourage you, don't just write poems about nature. Start writing songs about God. And so Cowper began to write songs, hundreds of songs, perhaps the most well-known song, at least in our day. We've heard it. If we've grown up in the church, we know it. We don't know who wrote it, but I'll tell you who wrote it. William Cowper wrote this song based out of Zechariah chapter 13. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. You see, when Cowper began to realize that God had forgiven him of his sins and when his guilt was washed away, he wrote a song about it. And through that song, his cleansing, his forgiveness, his salvation became even more real to him. But he wrote another song in that day as he reflected on what God had done in his life, how he had on four occasions tried to kill himself. He was unsuccessful of that. God caused him to hook up with John Newton. He sat under his preaching. He knew he was in the presence of a man of God. And through that relationship, Newton said to him, you need to write not just poems. You need to write songs to God. Write some hymns about God. And when Cowper had been delivered from his depression and that cloud had lifted off of him and he reflected back on what God had done in his life, the man who had been so depressed that he tried to kill himself is now so free that he's encouraging others. And that's when he wrote the song that I quoted at the beginning of the message. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. I'm saying to you today, friend, in your desert where there is no water, there's God. And if you will dig the ditch... Whatever that means in your context, God will send the water, and God's grace will more than see you through. Amen?